When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Chris Welsh, your host today with Brandon Funston. There is no Jake Seeley. We banned Jake Seeley. Cam Akers <laughs> did not perform well. He is not allowed back. No, Jake just had to go uh, celebrate maybe Saquon Barkley. He just had uh, a time to miss. So, Brandon, it is just you and I today breaking down week one, talking waivers and all the big storylines. Yeah, I thought there was a kicker insurgence there, and they were, were flipping the tables and, and banning Jake Seeley, all the kickers. So <laughs> there were, there were, and and oh, I believe this is a correct number, fourteen miss kicks in week one, which I believe, and getting all this info is always the hardest part. I believe is a record. Maybe on a week one, it was like twelve before, and there were upwards of I think around five kicks that could have impacted a win for a game that were missed. If there was ever a time for Jake to be here on a show, the ultimate ban kickers show, he didn't make it. Hashtag ban kickers. And really, it's crazy that he's not here for it. And it was a wild week one with the amount of kicks. It showed Brandon so much how rusty everybody was. The whole, like, I've been talking about this, the takeaway, the extra preseason game. And, oh, we're all ready. Everyone looked rusty and the kickers looked nuts, whether it was the Bengals and Steelers game and miss kicks and miss extra points or whatever it was. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. And it's too bad Jake can't be here to wax poetically <laughs> on uh, why kickers should not exist. Yeah, I was going to say that close to half of those misses were probably in that Cincinnati Pittsburgh game. And Evan McPherson was a stud last year. And yeah, you're right. He looked rusty. Uh, the snaps to get the ball to the, uh, you know, to the holder looked look bad and uh yeah there was other than Cade York it was a rough day for uh for kickers I had Cade York too in like two leagues for wow. whatever reason I just, I know That's it's just cool. weird that you would have any of them and I went and looked and I had Cade York so that helped in a few of those leagues don't tell Jake but a few of those <laughs> leagues that I do have kickers in uh so we're gonna do the full breakdown we're gonna talk about some of the big performances some of the big storylines because there's plenty of storylines whether players jumped up kind of out of nowhere performed whether the shares of uh, splitting or not what we thought they were. And we'll also talk about waivers throughout, and then we'll kind of prioritize the waivers as we go. But the biggest piece of news came on the final game of the night as Dak Prescott injures his hand at the end of the game, like right when the game ends, they already start talking to Jerry Jones and everybody, and you already immediately have the information that he's having surgery. No, like, well, yeah, check this out. We got to do this immediately. Nope, boom, he is having surgery Jerry Jones says he's going to be out for a while. And this morning we find out that Dak is scheduled to miss six to eight weeks. Huge, huge impact because A, the Cowboys first off did not look good. They looked bad. CeeDee Lamb was targeted 11 times and caught two balls. They couldn't move the offense with Dak. Now they're going to miss him. So what does that do as far as the impact of the rest of the Cowboy players for you moving forward? 
Well, first of all, I think the Cowboys might legitimately be the worst team in the division right now with no mm-hmm. Dak Prescott, with no Tyron Smith. Uh, like the way that the Giants and the and the Commanders and, and the Eagles play, I mean, they all got wins. Like this might be the worst team in the division for the next yeah. half a season. Um, I don't know if it can get any worse for CeeDee Lamb. And, uh, you know, a little Cooper Rush might be just with a doctor order for him because honestly, I didn't think him and Dak looked anything special last year. We felt like it was an under you know, under delivery for CD lamb, uh, never, those two never really seemed to like be on page as a true, like chemistry duo where, you know, they can just get rolling. I mean, it, it was a struggle. So, uh, CD lamb got the 11 targets. We know that, you know, he is going to be a very high, high volume receiver, but maybe just a, you know, a dose of Cooper rush might be something. I, I'm a CD lamb guy. I have him on a few teams and I'm like, I might be one, you know, this might be okay. I might be one to try this, but, uh, you know, as for the rest of, of Dallas, I, I mean, it's going to be tough. The, the passing threat's going to just make it harder to run. I, I mean, there's, you know, when you, when you go down from Dak Prescott, it's just going to, it's going to bring those defenses in to stack the box a little bit more and, and shut down Ezekiel Elliott. And, and maybe they get Tony Pollard going a little bit more in the passing game. I can certainly see that being an offshoot. Of this. Is there like a quantifiable like range that you think they could go down? So like for perspective, if you look at fantasy pros week one, CD was sixth. He was ranked six going into this game against Tampa Bay. And, you know, what do you think that does on under Cooper Rush right now? What do you think that does for week two? Obviously, in probably a little bit better matchup. Do you think you can see yourself putting, like, I guess at the end of the day, does CeeDee Lamb move to more of like a mid um, wide receiver two moving forward? Or do you think he can still be, not that it really matters, I suppose, at the end of the day, you're all going to start him. But possibly, Brandon, could he be in a situation where you are now balancing some of your other players and seeing if you can swipe someone else in for him? Yeah, I, I kind of DK Metcalf jumps to mind because, you know, I, he's Seattle's top ranked receiver with Geno's with Geno Smith. And we're putting him, you know, in that low 20s range. I think I'd probably be a little bit higher on CD Lamb because he's more clearly the number one guy in Dallas. But I'm probably looking at somewhere in that. You know, 16 to 20 range typically at wide receiver and then we'll let the matchup kind of move things around a little bit maybe but i think i'm i think you had it right with that sort of like mid wide receiver two maybe a little bit below that yeah and you could argue that the running backs i mean i'm not a big uh, ezekiel elliott guy kind of in the first place pollard i kind of dig and if you if you if this would be my take if you expect the cowboys to maybe be the worst team in the division and be down more this actually might be more of a plus for tony pollard again as you know, they're going to put him in more of those passing downs, and they really didn't go to as he, even though Ezekiel Elliott can catch, they didn't really go to him before. Maybe a boost for Dalton Schultz, but it's not really much of anything. Here's the last question with this one. Here's a speculation. I thought if Dak was going to be out for more than six weeks, that this team would have to look potentially look at other quarterbacks on the market. There's only one quarterback that makes sense on the market, and it's Jimmy Garoppolo. The 49ers, I think, are. It is so necessary for the 49ers to get Jimmy Garoppolo off this team with how bad, I know this is going to sound weird, with Mm. how bad Trey Lance was in week one, that you are going to have the clamoring for Jimmy Garoppolo already. It's already going to happen. So if that team wants to keep their composure and keep Trey Lance going, I think they need to get Garoppolo off this team yesterday. And now the Cowboys, I think, should be suitors with it. Do you think the Cowboys explore a Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade, which, by the way, I think would be fantastic for all of the fantasy options there, of course, or do you think the cost will still be too much with Dak out uh, six to eight weeks? 
Man, I, I again, I think Tyron Smith is a huge deal, and I think they were kind of fooling themselves that they would be just fine without him anyways. But, like, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But if you're San Francisco, are you doing that? Like, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, you may have to legitimately go to Jimmy Garoppolo if you think you're going to be I, – I understand it kind of blows up the confidence of Trey Lance, but, I mean, he's also a very raw quarterback, and he may understand that he might – not be ready i mean he's got very little high profile games under his belt that was basically the biggest thing he ever did right there was start an nfl game i mean that's uh he looked awful by the way i'm a 49ers fan if people don't know i watch every ounce of this game and as uh i did uh the in this league fantasy football podcast we did like a two-hour instant reaction right after all the games yesterday on itl with with uh scott bogman <clears throat> and as i cut bogman off to start i said listen I'm not going to I'm not going to accept weather excuses for this game. Now there was weather for the 49ers. There was the fourth quarter was a disaster. The first quarter was just slushy and the second and third quarter was great. There was no issues. I'm not going to accept it because Trey Lance looked awful. He made one good throw the whole game to Juwan Jennings. Otherwise, he hit uh Debo Samuel had eight targets, two balls. Three of those balls he threw to Debo were on the ground. Debo couldn't make a play with it. Trey Lance Overthrew everybody all game, had absolutely no patience, and and amazing, he was not blitzed once, and he was that ineffective on this team. So sure, weather like played a role, but Trey Lance does not look good, does not look ready, and has me worried about the 49ers in general. So to your I think it's one of two things. It's you are so worried about how Trey Lance looked that you're right. You keep the best backup on, on the entire market on your team if you want to be a championship team, because they didn't play like that, or you are setting yourself up if you don't make a move with having a bad, bad quarterback controversy if he is still around and you could cure it if the Cowboys were willing to um, make an offer on it. So, I mean, I guess we'll we'll tell. I would imagine the Cowboys, if given the opportunity to bring in a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo for eight weeks, would want to do so. But will the 49ers do it? So I guess it's just speculation and uh, we can just well, figure I out how comfortable we are with Cooper Rush. What as a 49ers fan, like go down with the Trey Lance ship and whatever we need to get him experience. And if we have a horrible season, we'll take the draft picks and we'll continue to build in this window of Trey Lance. Or is it we have one of the best defenses in the league right now? And when we have a competent quarterback, our offense is pretty damn good, too. And we almost made it to the Super Bowl last year. Are we going to salvage that and go with Jimmy Garoppolo because clearly Trey Lance isn't ready? What's, yeah, I mean, what's... unfortunately, Jimmy Garoppolo is not it either. He's uh, he, he you know makes horrific decisions at the end, but he is effective. He's a he's a guy that uh, does enough to keep you in the game. So that's your point. That's the point right there. That it's like a 49ers team can be kept in, and that's a Cowboys team. I don't know. I think with the 49ers are going to look inept if they then turn with everything that they said. So I don't think there's any way you can go back or you look bad as an organization. So that's why I think the 49ers could seize on this, move a Jimmy Garoppolo, but maybe the Cowboys have the type of confidence of Cooper Rush that uh, the Texans had in Davis Mills. You never know, but uh, it's a bad Cowboys situation for sure. Other uh, two big injury impacts, New England Patriots, Mac Jones, uh, suffered a back injury, was not available to uh, the media after the game, and is going to undergo an MRI. Not that he looked good, but losing Mac Jones for, you know, what would be Brian Hoyer would not be great for a Patriots af offense that lacked pretty much everything, Brandon. Yeah, and they got Bailey Zappi, who I thought <laughs> I kind of liked coming out of Western Kentucky, but yeah, it's Hoyer. Uh, it's 
maybe doesn't matter because you know I was on the under on the on the Mac Jones passing yards at two thirty four. Uh, I'm going to be under most weeks when he's ever in that range. I just don't think that this team is is going to be that prolific throwing the ball from a fantasy standpoint. I don't think Mac Jones is making anybody rich. He's a, he was you know going in. He's a serviceable super flex number two, but not not great. So. I don't know if this does a whole lot for anybody because we're not getting rich off of these receivers. It's going to be all about this backfield, and I expect that to be the same no matter who's behind. There would have been some maybe like half-decent value in Jacoby Myers, which is just unaffected because they're not That's really the definition of Jacoby Myers is half-decent value. Yeah, 100%. That would be his nickname. Uh, The other interesting thing with that was just to point out how much we were sold on Ramondre Stevenson being this Alvin Kamara, he's going to take the James White role. And that didn't, Ty Montgomery ended up taking uh, a lot of the third downs and those passing downs. And uh, that doesn't help either one of Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson's value. It was um, pretty frustrating this weekend. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, true. And, and yeah, I mean, if we're back to a three-headed monster, uh, that's no fun. And it comes down to you know, who's in, who's further in Belichick's circle of trust between Stevenson and Harris, which was kind of where we were at last year and Harris sort of won out. But, uh, you know, if you have either of these guys, it's always that tenuous and kind of trepidation that you have just not knowing week to week where your guy stands. And um, yeah. so that's, that's the problem. We, we wish that w- that was water under the bridge. We had a whole kind of different way of looking at this backfield, but it seems like it's same old, same old. Uh, the last of the big impactful injury thing. Well, we're going to talk about one in our storylines here, but uh, the other one to burn through is Keenan Allen hamstring injury taken out of the game is going to have an MRI plays on Thursday and looks a hundred percent unlikely to go on Thursday. And we'll see what the results of the MRI are. Uh, Mike Williams was not really any, I don't think he had a catch until the second half. He had four total targets, two catches. But my question is, is do you think this is an opportunity that we should go and pick up Josh Palmer this week in waivers because at worst, you're going to probably get him in the Keenan Allen role, even though it might go a lot of Mike Williams. You're going to get him in a significant role on Thursday night football. Um, are you going to jump on the Josh Palmer train or you think there's other places to go with Keenan out? Well, listen, I've said it, I think, with you since you've come over that Josh Palmer was my pick. If any of those, if Allen or Williams were to get hurt in front of him. We were talking yeah. about a guy who has wide receiver two upside. Unfortunately, he was basically non-existent in this in this game as well. So uh, him and Mike Williams didn't do a whole lot, and so it gets me it has me a little bit worried. But everything that we saw in the in the summer and the preseason is that Josh Palmer was making great strides. He distanced himself from Jalen Guyton as the number three, and honestly, I think he is the most versatile to kind of put in there as a guy that can play inside and outside you can move him around I think it's going to help him in terms of cementing you know filling in the volume where Keenan Allen is out so yeah I'm in on Josh Palmer we'll talk about our waiver wire pickups for this week he'll be in my in my top three yeah I think so as well because they've got uh you know Kansas City coming up here and he's going to jump at that number two role 21 percent owned on Yahoo right now so just keep that in mind for everybody uh, we had some huge performances, call them beast modes, bunch of beast mode players. I'm going to run through some of the biggest performances. And if there's a guy or two you want to hit, uh, we'll stop once we get to it. Patrick Mahomes, who was my number one quarterback. Not that it's like some big hat tip. You know, we had a lot of guys, but I did make my case for Patrick Mahomes this week and he went off. He had 238 with three scores in the first half, finishing, finishing 360 with five touchdowns. It was unbelievable. Carson Wentz, 313 with 
four scores. We didn't see that one coming. DeAndre Swift, oh baby, 172 total yards, 141 on the ground with a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor got 31 carries and a loss, 161 with a touchdown. Oh, also caught a four passes. I'm sorry, yeah, a tie, 100. Yeah. yeah, you're 100 right about <laughs> Which that. Which is really a loss a for the Colts. <laughs> it is, it is that they were able to push that. Uh, Saquon Barkley. Can't believe Jake's not here for this. 18 for 164 and a touchdown plus six catches, six yards short of 200 total yards. Coral Patterson, 22 for 120 and a score, had three catches. Justin Jefferson had six for 152 and two scores in the first half. Ended nine for 184 and two touchdowns. Jamar Chase, 10 for 129 and a score. And A.J. Brown, 10 for 55. Those were some beast mode players this week. A lot of wide receivers lived up to their value. Totally giving the case for uh, early wide receivers and how they perform based on a lot of those wide receivers, how the running backs, you know, Austin Eckler uh, specifically performed. But a guy or two uh, out of the big beast mode that you want to hit on. Uh, first of all, what jumps out to me is Saquon Barkley. His his run down the sideline when I was watching, because I was kind of in a bar watching a bunch of different screens, but caught the long run by him. And I actually thought that they were playing it on like 1.5 speed, you know, like <laughs> I was like, what? oh, my God, that, he is he is hauling. So like any question about how healthy he is uh, just watching that, you know, you shouldn't have any uh, questions anymore. His two point conversion was nifty. It was like him, you know, finding daylight, cutting, finding daylight, eluding a defender and then, you know, throwing some power to get across the goal line. Um like I just feel like he kind of showed everything you really would want to see if you drafted Saquon Barkley. Maybe you had to, you know, had to pay the steamed up price at the end of the of the preseason. You did it. Maybe you used an early second rounder or whatever it took. But like you're feeling really good about that right now. Um, the only other thing I would say, I mean, a lot of these are not that surprising. I just I watched a lot of that Green Bay Vikings game, and Justin Jefferson is unguardable. I mean, How he does really- he get open? Yeah, I asked myself this question when I watched it. Uh, specifically, there was one play where they put Justin Jefferson in motion. This was like on the five-yard line. They motioned Jeff- Jefferson inside, and all he did was come behind Kirk Cousins, come up and over, and there was no one within five yards. Just because they put him in motion, their zone coverage couldn't do it. And Justin Jefferson, wide open, and he caught one of those touchdowns. And you just ask yourself with these guys, like, yes, they're incredible, but how do defenses not say, beat me with anybody else but that guy? Yeah, it's a good question. But, yeah, it's just a combination of fluidity and ability to stop and turn on a dime. And, like, and I think he's – got an innate sense of, of where where to go to get it's just really everything all all kind of combined into one i mean i think if you're ideally building the super receiver you'd want him to be a little bit more physically stout but man it like uh, everything else he's kind of got that you know just it's got really every other box is checked I mean, yeah, just, he's like yeah. the movie. He's the anything everywhere all at once that's the type <laughs> of guy that he is uh the the two that i would point out um Patrick Mahomes looked as good as he ever has, you know, with losing Tyreek Hill. I know there's a lot of questions around him. I don't know how much people paid attention to this one, but also Juju Smith-Schuster. This is a big one, and his number's not going to, like, fly off the page for you, but he didn't have to do anything in the second half. He was targeted. I played the wide receiver prop on him this weekend. It was 46 and a half. I hit that in the second quarter. It was some of the easiest money that was played. 
And Patrick Mahomes is targeting him. He's doing it early. Yes, he's going to spread the ball around. But Juju, if this were a tight game, I think would have been now Juju did have two fumbles, which didn't help one that he lost. But if this were a tight game, I think you would have seen four or five more targets in the second half. They just didn't need to do that. So I feel really good about that after watching Patrick Mahomes look just like he has always. And Cordell Patterson, Tyler Algier was a healthy scratch. Amy Williams was nothing in here. Patterson against a good Saints defense shredded them 22 for 120 in a score is going to buy him more time. And I think he looks even more, um, more precise in this offense that did struggle. They couldn't get Kyle Pitts going. They couldn't do anything like that, but I thought it was impressive what um, Cordell Patterson did. And as, as a running back in this offense and pushing Algier, Algier will get in the offense at some point, but it was a healthy scratch and Patterson went off. I don't know if you caught any of the Patterson. Yeah, performance. Here we are like the more we've come full circle in one year or back to where we were last year in week one. It's like Cordero Patterson again, huh? Um, I want to get back to the chiefs though, because I don't think we learned anything with that blowout. The problem is, is that we had to speculate on a whole bunch of chiefs, uh, you know, Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon, Sky Moore, MVS, Juju. We we weren't really sure what this team was going to look like in you know the post Tyreek Hill, and because of the blowout, there was something there for everybody to believe in. If you took Sky Moore, there was sure. a play there where you felt good, and Isaiah Pacheco gets twelve carries for sixty yards. Yeah, it was garbage time, but there's something for everybody to believe in, and we need a tight game to kind of see who's going to really stack up when you know when things get a lot tougher. So. I thought Patrick Mahomes looked as confident as he's ever looked. He threw sidearm passes and yep. the flip passes. Everything just felt like it was just comfortable, and he had a, a, a massive amount of confidence. So that's good in the post-Tyree Kill era that Patrick Mahomes looks as confident as ever. That should be heartening for people that have pieces of this offense. Yeah, my only actual takeaway, like I agree with what you said, but the only one would be like, I do think we learned about Juju. I don't think we I, learned I absolutely enough about Clyde yeah. Zerlayer and Pacheco and everything like that. I agree with everything else, except that Juju is going to get peppered often and he yeah. looks good. He feels comfortable in the offense and Patrick Holmes is looking for him, which is pretty solid. All right, week one storylines, the bigger storylines. Eli Mitchell, oh man. Eli Mitchell hurt in this game, and I didn't know it for a quarter because it was this innocuous play that he gets hit. And then I have Bogman text me and say, what happened to Eli? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we haven't, they haven't said a single thing out for the game. And then they wait like another 10 minutes and they announce that Eli Mitchell hurt his knee out for the game, had a big brace on it after the game. We haven't seen anything as we're recording this news, but I'm going to expect it is going to be a more than one week thing. If it's a grade two like sprain, you probably are going to be looking at four to six weeks. It could be something two to four. And Eli Mitchell hurting destroy. I mean, destroyed my week one fantasy pros rank contest. Destroys some teams because I'm very high. We should have probably expected it, of course. And immediately vaults Jeffrey Wilson Jr. into conversation. Uh, Tyrion Davis Price was a healthy scratch in this game. They went with Jordan Mason, who can play special teams. But the thing I would throw out to you, Brandon, is I want to know your take on Jeffrey Wilson Jr. And obviously we'll prioritize, but what you think about him. And I would soften it by saying the problem I think this 49ers offense has in general is Debo is going to be the top guy. They went to Debo in the first series. It gave him eight carries that I don't even know if Eli is out and Jeffrey Wilson is going to be the back. Will it really matter that much more than Mike Davis or Kenyon Drake starting for the Baltimore Ravens? 
You're absolutely right. And man, I, I hate to say it, but Elijah Mitchell is about as durable as wet toilet paper. I mean, he's just <laughs> like, it's bad. I mean, he is, he is like next level Deontay Johnson. He's just always semi hurt. You're always worrying about whether he's going to play. And then week one, boom, he's just out. I mean, it's like so predictable. Like you don't want to say that's going to happen, but it's like, man, is anybody really surprised? We're all annoyed by this because he was, he was doing what we thought he was going to do early on. He was getting chunk yardage. 6.8 yards per carry, by the way, 6.8 yards per carry. He was breaking through the hole. He looked fantastic. If you would have given him 15 carries, he's going over hundred. We would have gotten everything we wanted out of Eli Mitchell. Had he just not gotten hurt. Yeah. And you said it, it's Debo. I don't think Jeff Wilson's a leading I don't know if he was ever a leading man, but you know, he's gone through injury, suffered some injury last year. I just don't think he's there to be anything more than a, than a complimentary role running back. Maybe you'll see Tyrion Davis price emerge along the way. If Mitchell's out for a while, but I think you're absolutely right. This is Debo probably sitting in the backfield, doing a lot of what he did last year. And, and they'll have some guys around him. But really, it's it's Debo. You know, it's going to be a lot of Debo going forward. Yeah, and Debo got his money. He's comfortable with the running. They went first series. They actually went Ayuk on an end around first, and then they had Debo three or four carries before he even saw Eli Mitchell. That you know you're going to get something from Jeffrey Wilson, which is solid. But it is going to be somewhere between six and ten carries for Debo. You're going to see Trey Lance. They didn't do enough quarterback. Uh, they had one quarterback like purposeful delay uh, draw they did on a, three, a third and 14, which was successful. They're going to probably get anywhere from five to eight carries from Trey Lance. They want to run it 30 times. So I just laid out half of the carries that are going to non-running backs. Then you go to Jeffrey Wilson Jr. And let's say there's a healthy Tyrion Davis price or Jordan Mason. doesn't matter. You're probably looking at 10 carries for Jeffrey Wilson. And he's just not that good. He will probably play passing downs early on, which could help. But I personally do it in here in a minute i don't think i'm going to go nuts on waivers for him but you should still consider it because it's a live body but i don't think i'm going to be going too nuts about it and it's a brutal blow i i I need to see the results of what's going to happen with eli mitchell because this is like i put on the blinders to the injury for the talent and i do that a lot and man does it burn you it burns yeah yeah i'm unfortunately he's you know he's he's the new fred taylor fred we gotta come up with fragile elijah tag here (laughs) <laughs> that makes me that makes me sad. Taysom Hill. There's a storyline. We completely forgot about Taysom Hill. Ends up four carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. He also caught a ball. I think it was one for two yards. But Taysom Hill everywhere is going to qualify at tight end. Is Taysom Hill someone you are going to prioritize after seeing what he did in the red zone? They had him play his gadget quarterback stuff. They're going to give him plays. You know he's not a traditional tight end where he's going to get five or six catches, but here's what you do know. You know this team is going to get the ball in his hand at least four to six times a game. Is that enough to prioritize him as a tight end that you want in fantasy after seeing him in week one? Yeah, I was just looking at the fantasy tight ends after week one, and it's like, man, I mean, maybe you do. I have him in Scott Fishbowl. I had George Kittle in that league, and I ended up starting Brevin Jordan instead. And then we got... And we got two catches from OJ Howard for two touchdowns. And you know, that's just going to build into a bigger role going forward. So yeah, George Kittle's out. I'm starting Taysom Hill in my Scott Fishbowl league next week. And I wish I would have done it this week, but uh, like, I think, you know, he, you have to think about him as a borderline back end tight end, you know, in top 12. Like, I think you got to think about him in the top 15 mix because 
I have a feeling that this, you know, four to six touches in one way or another is going to happen every week for Taysom Hill. He's he's a dangerous part, you know, a weapon, a, a sub package that they can use, and it seems to work an awful lot. There's no reason to think that most weeks you're going to see something similar, maybe not the touchdowns and, and as much explosion, but you're going to see them trying to repeat this on a fairly regular basis. And technically, he scored the, uh, let's see, who am I on? I think I'm on standard here. For half PPR, he scored, doesn't matter, he scored the third most points of any qualified tight end this week. You had Travis Kelsey, OJ Howard with the two scores, and then Taysom Hill. They're actually only horrible week for tight ends. Six tight ends scored double-digit points this week. That's it. That is it. And one, I mean, two of them were probably not even started, and one was probably on a lot of bench in Zach Ertz and people freaking out and fearing him, but he ends up scoring a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So, all right, so you're in on picking up Taysom Hill as, you know, a back-end tight, especially if you were sitting around and you had got like a Hunter Henry or a Mike Kosicki who absolutely was zonked out on this team. I think you could justify dumping one of those guys easy for Taysom Hill at this point just to speculate that he keeps getting those touches. Yeah, because what are you worried about? Somebody that catches fire and you know and and becomes like a a top five, top six tight end. If they're still if yeah. they're going to deliver to where they're at, you're not losing a lot, you know. Exactly. Uh, and I just don't I don't see it for Gasicki, you know, catching fire with the way they use Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Like he's such an ancillary part of that passing offense now. Over with the Jets, you kind of called this with you. I think you had one of the lowest ranks on Brees Hall for week one, Brandon. Yeah. And it ended up really kind of playing. It played out, I think, even more than other than people expected. It wasn't even so much that the, you know, one of the things you could argue is the Jets will just not have anything going against the Ravens. Um, but they did. One of these running backs had 100 total yards. It just wasn't Brees Hall. It was Michael Carter. Michael Carter, the split, the snaps were pretty close on these guys, but Michael Carter clearly looks like, the back. He had 10 carries for 60 yards. He has also caught seven for 40. So he had a hundred marker. Brees Hall only had six carries, but he did have six catches in the offense, a little under 60 yards. Talk to me about this split here. And should Brees Hall owners be worried after what they saw out of Michael Carter in week one? Uh, no, I think this is, yeah, I, 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 don't, I mean, I guess you should be worried because I think you're going to see this kind of a split going forward for a little while. And Brees Hall, I mean, his numbers aren't bad. He ended up with 61 total yards mentioned the six catches but yeah i mean i think at best you're going to get 50 50 split and touches for a while from Brees hall and it doesn't help him that michael carter actually looked a little bit better than him in this first one so this is what we talked about with you know how they slow played michael carter last year and they're going to do the same thing with Brees hall the problem is michael carter was clearly better than tevin coleman and ty johnson is Brees hall going to show himself out in a way that he is going to be able to overtake Michael Carter and be the lead of this platoon. I don't know. That, that to me feels like that could take a long time. Do you think Michael Carter is going to be a trustworthy option as far as starting goes moving forward? They've got kind of a, I would say this is a relatively rough stretch coming up here. <clears throat> it's literally all against the North. You've got Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. Two are away games in there. I guess, you know, Brees Hall is kind of answering the question that, He's not startable there. You got to find other options there. There's other wide receivers on the wire. I mean, Jahan Dotson had a fantastic week and that might be a guy I'd rather start in a flex spot than Brees Hall. You got to like the catches though, that Brees got with six, but is Michael Carter going to be someone you're going to trust moving forward into, you know, a flex? I'm not going to call it RB two, but like a must start flex guy. 
obviously as the buys start rolling in, that makes it a little bit easier. But sure, I can tell you just like anecdotally, just with some of my teams, I, I think I have at least two teams where I have Michael Carter and Allen Robinson, and I played Allen Robinson in week one. Like if Michael Carter's my best bench option, and I'm looking at Allen Robinson for week two, I'm certainly thinking about making that move, you know? So I think there's real world scenarios definitely in play in which Michael Carter makes a lot more sense in a 12 team league as a flex option than maybe who you rolled with in week one. Uh, here's another one of those similar situations. Etienne and James Robinson. Uh, Etienne only <laughs> got four carries, 47 yards, two catches, James Robinson led the way 11 for 66 in a score. He also had one catch for a score. The positive was ETN, I believe, was on most of the primary. Like, I think the number I saw was 75% of the like long passing downs, 100% of the two-minute drill, and on short yardage. So a lot of the impactful spots, ETN was there. He dropped a critical touchdown, but James Robinson really put a damper on a lot of people coming in. So is this like the Michael Carter Brees Hall situation? Do you think Travis Etienne owners need to be worried or move on? Or do you think this is going to rectify itself? Or at the end of the day, is this just say, listen, you got yourself, unfortunately, into a pure mix situation of two guys that you hope you're going to pick the right one each week because they're both going to get even run. I think it's a lot like the Jets situation, like Etienne being the Brees Hall here where we overdrafted him. I, I'm shocked that James Robinson came out and looked so good. He looked good. I mean, I mean, he's coming back from an Achilles, just like Cam Akers. And I was, you know, and, and Cam Akers can't even get play from Sean McVay after, you know, coming back five months and then getting a full preseason and offseason to, to get even healthier. So, like, I'm shocked that James Robinson looks so good. Um, I think we're looking at a split here as well. And, and I, I think if we took the Jets running backs and the Jaguars running backs and we said, okay, let's me and you, let's draft them. I don't know if we could come up with chalk in terms of the draft order. God, no, I don't think there's chalk. I mean, Etienne would be the the high upside play. Like what you're hoping at this point is you're hoping that this situation evolves itself into like last year lions where James Robinson becomes the Jamal Williams. Maybe they play him on some early downs and then they split series but that ETN becomes the big breakaway star. You know, he's more in the passing game. Um, like you said, you know, he's in the long range stuff and he's getting big breakaway plays like DeAndre Swift would. But yeah, there's no chalk out of that. I mean, who would you, who would you even take? I'm, I'm trying to think of that. Would it be Robinson, Carter, or ETN? Who would be the first pick? I think I'm going to still chase the side with ETN because, you know, otherwise you're getting all the other guys kind of feel like, yeah, they're going to deliver you some flex value. Like I still feel like ETN has the ability to DeAndre Swift things. Like you said, if you mentioned the lions there, like he can be the DeAndre Swift to James Robinson being the Jamal Williams. I can see that kind of happening. Although, but there, yeah. but overall there's no worry. You're not, you're not going to panic with ETN and you're not going to hold tight uh, on James Robinson. Like this is the next big thing. Right. I'm going to stress a little bit if I'm ETN okay. manager for sure, but I'm not a little going to panic. Yeah. yeah. Well, there might be a little bit of stress of this last one that we'll break down and then we're going to talk waivers. Is Rex Burkhead out everything to Damian Pierce? Like everybody knew was going to happen, right? Rex Burkhead had 14 carries, 40 yards, and five catches to Damian Pierce's 11, which he had for 33 on the ground and only one catch. Burkhead throughout the entire game was on the early downs. He was their primary focus, pass protection, everything. What level of worry should Damian Pierce owners have right now about Rex Burkhead or none at all? 
I think there's some level of worry. This is annoying. And I just wonder with Lovey, Lovey, Lovey Smith's old school. I wonder, you know, I was watching a fair amount of the game. Like, I wonder as they remained competitive, if Lovey just wanted to lean on that guy with experience, the trustworthy veteran over the rookie. Like if this was a blowout and the Colts were just running away with things, I have a feeling we would have saw a lot more Damian Pierce, but you know, that Lovey Smith talked a big game about how Damian Pierce had earned the starting job, earned the right to be out there with the first snap of the game. And I, I thought, okay, so they're going to just really lean into him. He got the first snap of the game, but whatever, it, it went away pretty yeah. quickly. Went and turned to rec, a lot of Rex Burkhead. So super annoying if you're if you have Damian Pierce because I don't think Rex Burkhead's going away, especially if they're going to play competitive games. So do you think Pierce is going to be a dicey start moving forward until we get like a yeah, little bit more knowledge? Who do they have in week two? I'm probably so week. Th- I've got uh, they've got Denver. They're going Denver, Chicago, Chargers over their next three. Yeah, I can see Rex Burkhead being involved in that a lot, especially yeah. in the passing game and just trying to against a good defense. Like you're trusting your veteran to also help keep your quarterback healthy, you know, and so. I just feel like early on, until they get a lot more faith in him and all the different aspects of the offense, you're just going to see a lot of Rex Burkhead. So you might see a lot of Damian Pierce hit some wires. Now, they won't be because of early draft, the drafts right before the season started because people were paying third round value and panic. But if Damian Pierce does end up getting cut out of fear for people, that would be a major pickup right now because he's still a big second half option. And, you know, it was one game. I mean, you talk about old school. Lovey proved old school by having a fourth down at the 50 yard line with 20 seconds to go in overtime and decided to play for the tie instead of play for a win. <laughs> so that's that is old school football, if, if that's even football. Waivers. Let's talk about waivers, Brandon. Waiver priority. There are so many names that we're picking out of. Jeffrey Wilson Jr. looks like he has a gig. There were some great wide receiver performances in Joshua Palmer. Jahan Dotson, who I mentioned, had two touchdowns. Looked killer, killer with the commanders. And there's a litany of other players. Talk to me about how you are prioritizing your first couple, what fab looks like on waivers this week. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's James depends. You got to check some of these guys. Like James Robinson is uh, in the Yahoo leagues. He's like 59% rostered. Um, but I think if you're digging a little bit deeper and you need a running back, uh, the guy I would I would look at is Khalil Herbert. Um, you know, had had the nine carries, looked good. David Montgomery did not. You and Jake have been talking up Khalil Herbert a lot, but um, you know, this was week one. Cleo Herbert looks better than David Montgomery. And he so looks so, and I don't mean to cut into you because you're talking about this. It's so funny because this this is my number one of the week if he's out there because he's 41% owned on Yahoo right now. So he meets that threshold of under 50. And when I was watching the game, you know, so slushy and moshy and whatever, you would get like Montgomery slam, Montgomery slam, one yard, two yard, negative yards. And then all of a sudden you see this back breakaway for eight yards. And I go, oh my God, is that David Montgomery again? And then it's like, nope. It's Khalil Herbert. Every time <laughs> something was broken, it was Khalil Herbert. He was hitting the holes. He just looked better, and he looked yeah. like a, a more impactful piece of that offense. So I completely agree with you. And that's funny because I didn't tease this or put this on the sheet at all with Herbert because I 100% agree. Khalil Herbert, if out there, is my number one this week with you. Yeah. Yep. There you go. And so at wide receiver, like it, I'd probably be looking at, we talked about Josh Palmer. Uh, my two, three is probably Josh Palmer. And I'm going to be honest. I, I would take a flyer on Curtis Samuel because 
Because why? Because he had 11 targets because we don't know who Carson Wentz is going to favor. You know, we don't know what one quarterback's going to favor over the other. So Carson Wentz comes in, targets him 11 times. He gets eight catches. But he's doing some Debo Samuel thing where he's getting four carries. And I just love that. If I'm putting a guy like Curtis Samuel into my flex spot, and this is another guy that use him while you got him because he's bound to get hurt at some point. But uh, while he's out there, that was a lot of run, a lot of different ways that they were using him. And I love that kind of Swiss Army knife appeal, a kind of a middle-class, poor man's version of Debo. But in the flex spot, you know, that might work out pretty nicely. I like that. We'll call him Walmart Debo. He's Walmart <laughs> Debo. So, <laughs> so your top three is Khalil Herbert, and then are you going to go Samuel or Palmer at two? <sighs> let's let's. Uh, well, hopefully, we will get some information on Keenan Allen. I think that what the order there could depend. If Keenan Allen's like he's going to miss this week, but he's back the following week, I might just drop Josh Palmer off this list altogether and and maybe go in a different direction with with the second wide receiver. What uh, as far as uh, people that are playing in fab leagues, what type of percentage are you paying uh, just from a percentage standpoint? Are you going 35, 30 on Herbert, more or less? Uh, and same with uh, Palmer and Samuel. Yeah, I'm wondering on Herbert, depending on the league, but I'm, I'm, I was going to say about a quarter, like 25, because, you know, the nine carries 45 yards to touchdown. It's not so showy that you have to pay a, a little bit more of a premium because the numbers are just popping. You know, you might be able to. Might be able to slide that bit in at twenty five percent and get it. Uh, the other ones, Curtis Samuel. I'm I'm going to lower things down because I don't think he's so much a slam dunk over guys like Jahan Dotson and other ones. I might just throw out a, a you know a, a upper single digit digit bid on like three or four different receivers and hope to land one of them. I would also add in you know the Jeffrey Wilson situation. If you were an Eli Mitchell owner, I would put I would put Jeffrey Wilson higher on the list just. For safety, I still believe, like we said on here, Debo will be the number one guy. Debo will lead in yards. It'll be Debo or Lance leading in yards. You know, if he misses six games, five of six games, I believe. But for a live body, I would still go and pick up Jeffrey Wilson. If I'm an Eli guy, I'm probably putting a little bit more priority on it, maybe into the 20 percentile, 15 to 20 percentile. But I'll bet you there's someone that's going to go nuts if Eli misses some time on Jeffrey Wilson. I would probably just avoid. I would... At the, at, you know, long term, I probably I'd rather have Pacheco this year than Jeffrey Wilson. Even if Jeffrey Wilson gets three or four games, I'd probably have rather have Pacheco in the long term. Also, look for guys like Ken Walker maybe hitting the wire after week one for people. Uh, that would be, I think, a really sneaky ad. And I'll just say it for the third time: Jahan Dotson looked fantastic with the um, Commanders. That maybe someone you want to take a look at for your waivers. Hey, we will be back uh, later in the week to do your week two ranks jake will be back we'll be pitting brandon and jacob against each other we'll be going through all of the the fun stuff that we do in preparation for it and hopefully we will have jake back soon you can find brandon on twitter at brandon funston you can find me on twitter at is it the wells brandon anything going on that people need to be on the lookout for coming into uh the rest of this week before we're back well yeah jake will have his waiver stuff since he didn't do the waiver show with us if you want to know what jake you know how he feels about the hierarchy of the waiver pickups this week his his column will be out shortly and we have some nice wrap-up pieces from michael salfino and, and casey joiner kind of talking about the things that went down in week one as well so make sure to check those out fantastic and we'll quiz uh, jake on cam Akers to start the show next week <laughs> that'll be our big thing thank you friends for hanging out with us and subscribing to the podcast until next time for the athletic fantasy football podcast i am the welsh that's brandon funston we'll see you next time 